Hello, everyone. Welcome to CSID's Firewall Chats podcast. I'm your host, Cody Gredler with CSID, and joining me is my co-host and colleague, Morgan Gravy. Hi, everyone. This podcast is brought to you by CSID. If you or someone you know has identity theft protection or has been a victim of a breach and received similar services, there's a good chance we helped power that product. CSID is a leading provider of global identity protection and fraud detection technologies for businesses, their employees, and consumers. For those of you that have listened in before, welcome back. And for those of you who are new to the podcast, thanks for joining us. We are hosting this podcast as an effort to teach consumers and businesses more about the cybersecurity issues that are putting our identities at risk. We've already had a handful of discussions around how you can protect your online identity. If you'd like to listen to any of those past podcasts, you can download them on iTunes or visit our SoundCloud page at csid.com slash firewallchats. And as always, feel free to get in touch with us on Facebook or Twitter at Firewall Chats. We've got a great episode for you today. We're visiting the workplace, specifically how businesses can help to foster a culture that promotes cybersecurity. We're joined by Michael Kaiser, Executive Director at the National Cybersecurity Alliance, to chat about the methods businesses can use to ensure everyone is on the same page when it comes to staying secure. Thanks for being here today, Michael. Well, thanks for having me. Can you tell us a little bit more about your work at the National Cybersecurity Alliance? Sure. You know, the National Cybersecurity Alliance, or NCSA as we often call it, was founded in 2001, right after 9-11, by a really group of visionary people in industry who realized that following that attack, there had been some cyber elements, but they realized no one was actually doing anything to educate people about how to stay safer and more secure online. Uh, back then, there were certainly some people doing you know, online safety for kids, but in terms of general consumers and small and medium-sized businesses and the education system, no one was looking at that. And they quickly decided they needed to work with government in a partnership, and that's how we were created. And, you know, kind of the, the short story is that we started to work with DHS, and we created programs like National Cybersecurity Awareness Month in October with the government and the industry working side by side. And since then, we've added on things like the Stop Think Connect campaign, which was created by government and industry again in a consortium to have a harmonized message around staying safe online and then took on programs like Data Privacy Day and some other efforts that we work on. So we're really an education and awareness organization trying to get the necessary steps to stay safe and secure online into people's hands and to actually build a culture of cybersecurity around the whole country and, in fact, the globe. We're working globally a lot now as well. That's great. It sounds like you're involved with a lot of great initiatives and a great resource for our topic today. So to get started, how do you ensure everyone within an organization pitches in to create a culture that cares about cybersecurity? Well, you know, obviously, in many ways, when you want to create a culture or something within an organization, it starts from the top, right? There has to be a commitment from the top of an organization for people to take cybersecurity seriously. And everyone plays a role in that, and we really believe in our shared responsibility as kind of an underlying universal truth in cybersecurity. But it's going to partially depend where you sit within the organization, what you do. Certainly, the leadership sets the tone about the importance of protecting not only the company's assets or the organization's assets, but also the personal information of their customers or clients, perhaps the personal information of their uh, employees, and then works to make sure that everybody's implementing whatever procedures that they put in place to protect that information. And, and it could be, you know, again, it varies by the kind of organization and the kind of technology that they're using, but everyone should be very aware of how to use the technology that they're given safely and securely to maintain the safety and security of those devices over time. 
And, you know, kind of as you mentioned, employee education is a must. Do you have any advice for businesses just getting started on an education program? Yeah, well, certainly, you know, we have our Stop, Think, Connect program, stopthinkconnect.org, and also staysafeonline.org, which have a lot of things for people they can use if they just want to start with, you know, a basic, you know, put up some posters around the workplace to remind people to do things like passwords or other kinds of steps that they can take or, you know, being careful what they share about people's personal information, they can absolutely do that. We want people to put proper procedures in place, and we know that organizations are of different sizes. So what I'd say to people is it really depends a little bit on the size of your company, but it can be anything from starting with getting people together in a conference room and talking about cybersecurity and what they need to do and what your policies are, to in larger organizations, having policies, having trainings, doing real trainings. There are many companies that use things like FISH, as in, you know, PH, fishing their employees through training programs and helping them identify the people who do respond to some of those emails and teaching them about when not to respond to those or how to identify phishing emails, up into having online computer-based trainings for everybody that participate in the organization um, to be better and more secure online. So there's lots of different ways that this can be done, but it has to be reinforced. It can't be a one-and-done kind of thing. It has to really be periodic and regular, and it has to be something that gets addressed from, you know, again, the top down on a regular basis, reminding people the value of the information that the organization holds and the responsibility that they have to protect it. When people give you their information, they expect you to protect it. I want to hone in on password security. I know this comes up a lot in this discussion on employee education And we hear a lot about easy-to-guess passwords in the news. For instance, Splash Data recently released their worst passwords list of 2015 with 123456 and password topping the list again this year. Requiring long and strong passwords and frequent password updates are two easy steps to securing a business. What other tips do you have to promote good password habits? Well, certainly passwords have been you know, as you're pointing out, a real Achilles heel in cybersecurity. Bad password practices really can be incredibly damaging. And I think that sometimes people don't always understand why that is. So encouraging people to be more aware of why a strong password is important. For example, you wouldn't want to be the person whose corporate email gets hacked and then gets used to launch a spear phishing campaign on all your customers, which then gives all your customers malware, right? You don't want to be that person in the workplace. And so helping people understand that, you know, having a long and strong password isn't something that's being done to make your life inconvenient, but making your life and the whole company more secure is really important. I think in terms of, like, the frequency with which you change passwords, there's actually some debate about that in the security field. Some people say, oh, you should change them every 30 days. Other people say, and I actually lean a little bit towards this camp, you should have a long and strong password, and you should only change it if you need to. And the reason that people say that is because if you tell people they have to change their passwords every 30 days, they tend to make weaker passwords because they're just constantly changing them and they have to remember them, right? Whereas if they have a very good, strong password that they've memorized, then they have a better password to start out with and better security. But I think this is one of those things where corporate policies come into play, too. And however a system can be set up to require people into certain kinds of strong passwords, I think, is great. Certainly teaching people how to create strong passwords would also be something that I think they could do. But I also think that people really need to be looking beyond the password. 
you know, we really promote very strongly something called multi-factor or two-factor verification. And this is something in addition to a logon and a password that makes your accounts more secure. So people may have first experienced it through things like an SMS text to their phone, for example, right? Put in your login, you put in your password, it sends a text to your phone, you put that code in, and then you get access to your email. That is really a great way for people to make their systems more secure. And so we really encourage people to look at those kinds of newer and emerging technologies that help with authenticating people as they come onto the network to be sure that they are the person who they say they are. So switching gears a bit to apply that information to breaches, you know, when we have a group of employees that isn't practicing those smart habits, sometimes it can lead to a breach. And unfortunately, many breaches are caused by employees or someone within the company. According to a 2015 Intel security report, internal actors were responsible for 43% of data loss, half intentional, half accidental. But how can an organization monitor these kinds of threats? Yeah, well, the accidental versus the intentional are both related in some ways and they're not in other ways, right? So if somebody really has it out for you, let's say you have an extremely disgruntled employee, they may go to more severe kinds of steps in order to try and compromise the organization than someone who did something accidentally, like was in a coffee shop and was logged on to their email and got up and went to the bathroom and didn't log out. So there's different levels of severity when it comes to how the breach might happen. Unfortunately, you know, in that latter case, those kinds of accidental things are really things that are quite preventable. But I think in terms of monitoring, it's hard to talk universally that things that apply to every organization because, one, the kinds of information that people have are different. The size of the organizations are different. Their ability to apply resources to the issue are always going to be different depending on how big or small they are. So we really want to have things that are scalable for folks when they're trying to address this. But I think when it comes to the protection piece of this and the monitoring, it's making sure that when you set up your systems and when people come into your organization and are now beginning to come onto the network, that they really only have the privileges to access the information that they need to do for their job. So in some smaller organizations, people might have access to everything. Maybe that's not the way to go. Maybe you need to have specified permissions for jobs in accounts payable, then maybe you only need access to that information having to do with the vendors that you're dealing with, and you don't need access to other kinds of information that might be on that network. And segregating that out is going to reduce your risk. And if somebody tries to then access a part of the network that they shouldn't, you might be able to be notified of that. Like, why was John trying to access the employee database when he's in accounts payable? (laughs) That's not somewhere where he's allowed to be. So that's one way to monitor that, having very specific permissions. On the accidental side, I think it's harder because accidents will happen, and that's really about putting in good practices from the start, making sure that people are aware of the risks that might happen if they do things like get up from their computer and go to the bathroom while they're still logged on, right, or using public Wi-Fi in places when they shouldn't be, or trying to access the network from home in ways that shouldn't be accessed. So it's really putting in the controls around the way people access and use the network that's really important in those cases. And and paying attention to where your data is, I think, on the accidental side is really important. Monitoring can be difficult. You, know, you can't monitor everything that happens on a network of your small organization. But understanding the way people use data within your organization and making sure that they're not violating those rules. And I'll give you just like a simple example here, too. You may think, oh, well, all this data is over on this one computer or, you know, John has access to this data. 
But then John, you know, runs a report, right? And he takes that data and he downloads it into a spreadsheet and he sticks it on a thumb drive and he takes it home because he wants to do work at night. And now you don't know where your data is. And if you don't know where it is, the risk of loss just increases exponentially. You mentioned access points, and I think that's a good segue into the BYOD conversation. More companies are starting to look at bring-your-own-device policies. Do you recommend this? And what are some of the dangers of having a personal device that's also used for work? Yeah. So the whole BYOD phenomenon, really, I mean, kind of the cat's out of the bag on that one. <laughs> you know, I mean, obviously, in some places, I mean, if you go to, you know, certain places in the federal government or certain companies which, you know, have extremely strict security, you may not be able to bring your own device or you may have to drop it in a bucket before you go into a certain room and those kinds of things. But more and more, we see BYOD. And I think there's a couple of reasons for it. One is um, there are some money-saving opportunities for businesses to let people use their personal devices for work. Two, people are very attached to their uh, ecosystem, so to speak. You know, they're an Apple user, they're an Android user, they're very comfortable with the technology they use, they don't want to be given a different technology. So a lot of employers have decided that that's good for morale, it's good for cost, and they want people to have these devices. In and of itself, there's nothing wrong with that. However, once you have that, there are a lot of things that you need to take in consideration. You don't want people blending their corporate data with their personal data. So there are a lot of software programs. And, in fact, some phones themselves have software built in to segregate corporate email and corporate apps from non-corporate apps. And so they're protected on the other side of the phone, literally. So there's different kinds of access to that data. And if someone picked up your phone and got into your personal email, they wouldn't necessarily be able to get into your corporate email. So that's really important. So some kind of mobile security management system that the company installs on the personal devices is very important. And that can be, you know, the IT department then can play a role in helping secure those devices and making sure those devices have updated software, encouraging employees to, again, take care of their devices, keep a clean machine, as we like to say, to make sure that they're running current operating systems on their phones, that their apps are up to date. is also very important if you have BYOD. And then another piece that's really important is if you have BYOD and you do allow it, when someone leaves the organization, making sure that that data is cleaned off. So it may be that, you know, there has to be a very trusting relationship between the IT department and your employees. But, you know, if you leave the organization that's been BYOD, you should make sure that those applications are removed and all the data associated with them is removed. And then the other part of BYOD that's very important is how people might use public Wi-Fi with their device. So public Wi-Fi has risks, and a lot of people like to go on to public Wi-Fi on their mobile devices because of data plan issues and other kinds of things. So making sure that people are either using VPNs or, and or not using public Wi-Fi would be very important in the BYOD environment as well. Even after following all the advice that you've given us today, unfortunately, a crisis can still arise and a company could still be breached. If a company suspects they have been breached, what are the first steps they should take to remediate it? Well, hopefully the first step they've done is anticipated a breach happening before it happens. The last place that a company wants to be is, my God, we have a breach and we don't have a plan, right? (laughs) So um, we very strongly promote implementation of the framework that the government came up with, which is really sort of five steps. It's identifying what your critical data assets are that need to be protected, protecting those assets, being able to detect if that data somehow gets compromised, and then getting to your question, what would you do if something happened? 
how would you respond to that event if that data was somehow lost or was compromised or that system was compromised, and then how would you recover from that? The most important thing is to plan ahead. And that way, they'll know what steps they can take. And for each company, it's going to be a little different depending on what that breach is. First of all, there are different laws in different states, so they should be very aware of what the requirements are under their state. There could be notification laws to their customers, right? They're certainly going to want to talk to their insurance company if they have insurance. They're going to want to try and stop the data loss as fast as possible. That may even be turning off that system for a while, They're going to want to make sure that they understand the data that's been lost and see if they can figure out where it is. They're going to want to be able to recover that system, so they're going to want to be able to patch whatever hole it was or figure out how the data was lost, make sure that that's remediated before they go back to the system. And they're going to want to have a system in place that bridges them between the breach and full recovery. So, you know, just for an example here would be something like somebody had a payment system that got breached, and now they feel like they can't take credit cards on that system because they're not sure it's secure. How would you continue to take transactions during a period which your primary payment system was now down? And being ready for that is really important because at the end of the day, in many ways, cybersecurity is not only about resistance, but it's also about resilience. Um, it's about how fast you can come back if you are attacked. And that, I think, for small uh, and medium-sized organizations, which could be more fragile than larger organizations, is really critical. I mean, if you're in an organization, could you be in a spot where you couldn't accept payments for four days? What would that do to your company? Would it put you out of business even? So it's hard to say exactly what they should do, but the first thing they should do is plan. Like you said, companies should be preparing for a breach before it occurs. And I think a good first step in this employee education process is, you know, creating an environment for open communication, allowing employees to ask questions where they're unsure on security policies and such. What are some of the best ways companies can ensure all employees are on the same page? Obviously, setting rules and responsibilities for every employee about the protection of data is really important. And making sure that employees understand the value of the company data to the company and that they're being entrusted with data from other people and that they don't want to lose it. So setting that tone is really important. Constant communication about these issues is also really important. And that actually works both ways. It's not only down, like, here's what you should do and all these things, but creating an environment where employees can report, you know, if they think something's wrong and that those reports get taken seriously. You know, data could be lost in so many different ways. An an employee may think, oh, I clicked on a link. I don't think I should have clicked on that link. And instead of having an environment of like, oh, my gosh, you're so stupid, how could you have clicked on that, to thank you for reporting that to us, (laughs) right? Let's take a look and see if any damage was done, right? So opening up the environment so that people feel okay reporting things. Creating that open environment is really important. So we've talked about so many do's that you recommend as far as what to do to promote the cybersecurity culture. What are some don'ts that you've seen organizations doing? Well, don't think that it won't happen to you. (laughs) It's probably the biggest one, right? And don't think that what you have is not valuable to the cyber criminals. This is, I think, the biggest mistake that people make Somehow they think that cybersecurity and creating this culture of cybersecurity is not relevant to them. You know, I'm just a small business. Why would someone want to come after my information? 
So don't make the mistake that you're not a valuable target. And understand that you may be targeted directly, like I want to get into this company uh, either because I want to steal their data, I want to steal their money, or I want to steal the credentials to their email so I can go spearfish a whole bunch of other companies, which is something we see a lot of. So don't think you don't have anything of value. But also understand that sometimes you could just become a victim of a data breach because you have unpatched systems and it's not somebody looking for you directly. They're just looking for a certain vulnerability in an older version of an operating system that you still haven't updated, and they exploit that just because they find out that you have that system. So don't make the mistake that you won't be or can't be a target. I think that's actually the biggest mistake I still see in most companies that don't pay attention to this. Well, thank you for your time today, Michael. This was a great discussion. Do you have any parting thoughts on creating an open cybersecurity culture? You know, really participate in activities like National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Take some time during October to teach your employees about cybersecurity. Data Privacy Day, another great example in January. Uh, So really, I would just say get engaged. And I think whatever you do, either as an individual or whatever you do as an organization or as a company, whatever you do to make your environment safer actually makes the Internet more secure for everyone. So just remember that we're all interconnected here, and at some level we're all interdependent on each other implementing good security, and that will make us all better off. Thanks again for joining us today, Michael. And listeners, if you want to learn more about the National Cybersecurity Alliance or look up some of the resources Michael mentioned, visit staysafeonline.org. If you like what you heard today, or in any episode for that matter, let us know by leaving a review on iTunes or share your thoughts on our social channels at Firewall Chats on Twitter and Firewall Chats on Facebook. You can also visit CSID.com for more great content, tips, and advice. Have a great day, everyone.